Marketing can be an incredible force for good. It can also be complicated and confusing. I'm your host, Erica Mills Barnhart, and my goal with this podcast is to bring clarity to the marketing chaos for you. You'll learn inspiring yet practical ways to think about marketing differently so you can do marketing differently and get better results with less stress and more joy for you and your team. Motivation is for the mind and inspiration is for the heart. Marketing for good takes both. Welcome to a whole new way of thinking and doing marketing. Welcome to Marketing for Good. Lions and tigers and bears, oh my. That expression has always made me giggle. And now I love it even more because I learned it's the inspiration for my guest, Brea Starmer's company, Lions and Tigers. Lions and Tigers is a marketing and strategy consultancy, listen to this, that is building a bridge to the future of work. So timely. In 2018, Brea started the firm in response to a need she saw as a consultant and simultaneously mom of two young boys. And that need was for what she refers to as flexible, fractional, high-impact work. And I got to say from there, she just went for it. Her team is now 50 plus and they serve clients like Microsoft and Google and also smaller businesses and startups. As the founder, Brea created a company that operates on purpose and for cause, on purpose and for cause. She talks more about that. And I just, I love the phrase. I love the intent. And I can't wait for you to hear more from her about what that means to her and the company. I met Brea while doing a project for Microsoft Philanthropy a number of years ago. And at that time, she was growing a global staffing firm from a startup to eventually was 120 plus consultants with 16 million in revenue. And they did that in four years. Whoa. Brea's got a lot of energy. <laughs> she is she's really, truly passionate about helping people thrive in their highest and best use through courageous action. You can hear that she also likes her some words. She's, you know, I'm using phrases that she shared with me. She's a marketer for sure and a founder and an entrepreneur and just a super cool chick. Oh, oh, oh. And her office is a she shed in their front yard. It's a she shed. Once you've listened, join me in the Marketing for Good Facebook group and let's keep chatting, okay? There's a lot lot to take away from this episode about marketing and changing the world, one project, one person at a time. Rhea, welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy to be here. I want to say out of the gate that this is a take two and that you were an incredibly patient, wonderful, kind human being because we had this conversation before and I forgot to record. (laughs) But what a, what a chance to make it even better. (laughs) I'll take it. More time is always good. Love the positive take on that. So you're in your she shed. I I feel like I want to acknowledge that because we're all in these kind of, I mean, you can see this is my right behind my husband's, you know, like we're sharing an office and there's just a lot of closeness right now under COVID, but you have your she shed. I'm so lucky, Eric. (laughs) So when my second son was on the way, I had to give up my home office, which was just a bedroom to him because, well, he needed a place to sleep. And so we didn't have anywhere else to put me. um, And I work from home so much. So we invested in this she shed, which is in my front yard. 
It's like a 12 by 12 tough shed and I spend a lot of time here. And I know just how lucky I am, especially with my children home. So <laughs> this is a great um, place for me to spend time. Especially with little children. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I have a four and a half and a one and a half year old. So they come out here because I keep the best snacks out here though. <laughs> So you actually invite them into the she shed. That's like encouraging. I know. (laughs) I know. I know. I do like to see them throughout the day, which is such a nice little treat, but then I shut the door eventually. (laughs) Little little rays of sunshine and joy, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So thank you for being on the podcast times two, kind of. I really, I appreciate it. One of the reasons I was so, so, so excited for listeners to get to know you is we've known each other in various capacities. But you are somebody who in all of those different contexts has always been just like, so you. And when I think of like the word marketer, I have to say, you always come to mind. I don't know if you think about yourself that way or not, but you, you just, in the best sense of the word, like in the true sense of marketing for good, like using marketing as a force for good. So I would just love to hear you share one, what your reaction to that is. Do you think of yourself or identify that way? And what attracted you to marketing in general, because you have held marketing roles. Oh, thank you for that compliment. Um, I have in the past identified as a marketer. (laughs) Um, Most recently, I've been identifying as an entrepreneur and a founder, which is a new hat that I'm wearing. And I guess I'm still getting comfortable with those titles. But I've, I've been a longstanding marketer, yes. My first job out of college was marketing in a role at Microsoft. I remember when I interviewed there, they're like, well, what do you want to market? There's 5,000 marketers here. And I'm like, I don't care. I'll market bananas. Like, I'm just, I just want a job here. Like, can I just have the business cards? So I remember being not very, you know, frugal about where I spent my time. But as I've gotten older, I've really found great joy in the power of communications and the power of kind of bringing people along the journey with you. And so that's been this like most recent chapter of my life has been around marketing in my own life and this work that I'm, I'm doing lately. So yeah, I guess I do identify as a marketer. I don't think I'm the best marketer in the whole world. Like there's lots of people who I look up to, but I certainly love the profession and love studying uh, the art of marketing. Who do you consider to be like an uber wonderful marketer? I tend to watch, like I love Seth Godin. Mm -hmm. Um, I tend to, I really love some of these more uh, folks that are marketing themselves, which I think is really fascinating. Like Marie Forleo has B-School, which I think is really interesting. I'm a big fan of Sarah Peck, who leads a podcast called Startup Pregnant that I'm um, obsessed with. I think Amy Nelson at The Riveter does some incredible work and is a really great example of having a platform and a business and a social presence all at once. So I tend to be attracted to folks that maybe aren't natural marketers, but have done a really fabulous job of marketing themselves in their businesses. I, uh, I was doing some research on content marketing. And of course, you can't do that and not come across Gary V. Sure, sure. I'm not sure, even sure. going to try the last name. And I remember somebody saying like, don't, tr-, you know, basically the whole adage about like, be you because everyone else is taken. Mm-hmm. And them saying like, no one's going to out Gary V, Gary V. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't even want to try this. So I find, I like, I look at his approach to marketing, which is like, I'm going to be everywhere all the time. And to me, that just feels exhausting. Yes. Um, but to him, it clearly like revs him up and that's, that's how he does it. So I think it's such a fun time to be able to see what different people are doing. Like you can actually, and you can follow the breadcrumbs, right? Like yeah. you can compare Gary Vee to Marie Forleo to, you know, whoever else is on your 
radar, which is helpful, right? But you have to be a little bit, I would say, you know, I'm not trying to, how do I want to say this? Not from a FOMO perspective. You know what I mean? Like I I really, I worry a lot about how much anxiety contributes to, uh, how much marketing contributes to anxiety. And we already have so much anxiety, you know, right now. I mean, in general, as a culture, partially because of social media, partially because of other things. So, you know, marketing can contribute to that. So I'm not trying, I'm not recommending to listeners to like go to stress yourself out to be like, how are the other people doing it? More from a like, I really respect this person. How do they like the mechanics of it can be quite interesting. Yeah, for sure. And the barrier to entry right now is so low. I mean, you know, we talk about UGC or user generated content right now. Like it's totally cool to pull out your cell phone and take a selfie video in your backyard with your thoughts of the day. And I mean, that just wasn't even, that wasn't acceptable. It was pretty radical a year ago. And now it is what we're all craving and it's, it's performing super well. And even, even you, Erica, who now, you know, launched a podcast because it feels like that's the modality you want to explore right now. So cool. Right. And you could do it as a series and then put it back down again. Like Mm -hmm. there's no expectations of what this should look like. And that has just really opened the door to people to feel like they can approach this in a way they couldn't have before. I hope so. I I mean, I feel like you can make more what I refer to as like for now decisions versus forever decisions. Yes. I think I, I make, you know, those distinctions a lot in my life. And, you know, back in the day, if you were all print, I mean, that was like a big, it wasn't a forever decision, but if you were printing a brochure and even now, like that's a big investment and a big commitment. Whereas if you're like, I'm gonna, you know, I'm going to try a podcast or, I mean, blogging almost seems so passe, although I feel like it's going to have a comeback. I'm going to go on record right here, right now. I feel like it's going to happen. <laughs> it's just going to look a little different. You you use the word radical. And so my brain is spending a lot of time on, on this idea of radical realness. So we hear a lot about authenticity and with user-generated content. And, you know, I would say the precursor to that was, you know, really reality TV and all of us becoming like accustomed to watching other people's lives, which when that first came out, it was like, that's kind of weird. Now it's like, oh, that's what Kim Kardashian's doing today. That's fine. <laughs> but you are such a real person. And I think, so, so the reason I'm intrigued by radical realness is because I'm seeing one of the, one of the good things I'm actually seeing um, or positive things out of all this COVID stuff is, so, so the not good thing is people are exhausted. Yes. People are really, really tired. And uh, people of color and people living in marginalized communities are particularly so. Um, so I don't want to make that seem any better than it is. What I am seeing that gives me reason for hope is like just people putting down the pretense of being something other than who they are because they can't carry it any longer. And you seem like somebody, again, right from the start, who was just always like very clear on who you were and good with it. And I wondered, did that come naturally? Do you work at that? How's that? How's that happen? Um, yeah, I think my mom would probably say that I've always been pretty, pretty um, like confident and clear about what my wants and needs are. I was raised mostly as an only child. I have a, a half brother that's younger than me, but so I think you know, being raised as an only child in a divorced home, you just you learn some independent skills at a pretty young age. I was four when my parents divorced, and I watched my mom work 
tirelessly her way up the corporate ladder. She's now um, a CMO and a coach for marketers, actually. And um, but I watched oh, that's her. Cool. Yeah, I watched her literally move from the receptionist's desk to a corner office while I was a kid, and that really made a huge impression on me on the kinds of things that you know she didn't have a college education. There was no there's no blueprint for how she could have a career and watching a woman that I admire chart her own path despite a bunch of odds really was inspiring for me. So I went into life feeling like, well, there's no boundaries. Like I can be really, uh, really authentic and ask for what I want. And now this business that I've created what I try to teach the people who come alongside me in this journey is that they shouldn't think of their needs as accommodation. We should think about people's lives and keeping them in the workforce as strategic advantages. And I feel very strongly, especially for working moms like myself, who uh, where time is incredibly precious, that we have to really be clear and and ruthlessly prioritize our time. So yeah, but I will say there, I still have moments where I I question how much to share publicly about the messy life and versus mm. the polish. There's like a polish and a messiness continuum um, mm-hmm. that you have to fall somewhere on, you know, in social. I, like there's like my corporate presence and there's my personal presence and how do those things come together? And I'm still learning that. I'm still really trying to fi- figure out that dial for myself. But the more I push towards authenticity on that dial, which is a little bit newer to me, the more I get back, the more validation mm-hmm. I get from people, the more I hear from people. And so it gives me confidence to push even further. So I'm looking forward to a year ahead that's even pushing me out of my comfort zone even more. I'm looking forward to that too. I can't imagine what that's going to look like. For you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel you. I, I balance that all the time. I have kids as yeah. well. You know, I think there, there, there's a difference between choices where it's like, how am I going to respect the people I love? you know, like, how do they want to be brought into this? And of course, when they're really little, like yours, they, you know, that's different. My, my mm-hmm. little are almost, you know, teenagers. Um, so they have about these things, but I, I, you know, I think these lines are definitely blurrier and blurrier and it doesn't mean you have to show your everything, but I have had the same experience. And, you know, when I look at organizations and companies that have like a really strong following, there is that thread. And I'm not saying you just like throw it all down. You're like, this is me, people. Like, this is all of me. It's it's more like I'm going to be so true to my values and so true to who I am and unapologetic about that. And I think, you know, especially right now, folks are craving that. So, yep. Yeah, we have a term for it. Um, so we have we have three corporate values that we filter everything through at Lions and Tigers. So first is stewardship. We're really precious with our resources, time and money. Second is wired for impact. That means that we focus on the things that will be the most impactful with our time. And third is around intentional community, meaning that we come together on purpose and for cause. And the culmination of those three things, if they're done well, we call the concept fearless because. And Mm, it's this idea that if you you work within your values, that you have the opportunity to be fearless. I don't think fearlessness is an end state. Like I think it's like yoga, like you practice your whole life and at some point you, you know, kind of conquer fear or use fear in a different way. So that's something that I've really been studying for the last couple of years is how we use fear as a tool um, and then surround ourselves with the people that lift us up. Yeah. It's funny. Fear it sounds so different than fearless. Doesn't I don't it? know why that, that yeah, they're striking. very, very d- differently. 
Will you talk a bit more about the the idea of doing things? I won't get it exactly how you said it, but for on purpose, for purpose, yeah, purpose on and purpose cause? and for and cause. For cause. Yeah. yeah, say a bit more about that. Yeah, you know, um, I was a freelance consultant um, for a while because I was laid off when I was seven months pregnant and no one would hire me. I was unhirable in the market. And so the only thing I could do was to become a 1099 contractor and hope that people would like hire me for my expertise. And so I kind of became this overnight consultant. And that has been a career that I actually loved. I didn't really mean to get into it, but it's been a really wonderful uh flexible model for my family. So what I found though in doing that is it can be a bit of a lonely existence. Like you can really go all day long and talk to a whole bunch of people and you know do coaching all day long and still go home and feel like you don't have a team around you. So when I was pregnant with my second son, Scout, we des- I decided that I really wanted to do this with people. Like I just I really wanted to scale this thing. I wanted to teach other people how to have these like flexible consulting arrangements. And so I started this business and what I've learned in doing that is that this this whole point of bringing people together to solve challenges alongside each other has been the greatest joy that I could possibly have because it is so stinking fun. And you can do really powerful asynchronous work thanks to technology. So for us, intentional community means that we're we're drawing together these teams of people to solve these big challenges. And that for us, that shows up like, you know, we've got these uh, this really great Slack channel where we bring our problems in and we showcase templates and we do show and tell and we try to kind of literally solve these problems collectively. We do these um, these monthly all-hand calls where we share our wins and our successes and how we have gotten our clients to a much better place. Like we really focus on the kind of impact we have because we're working together and it feels so good. It feels so different from when I was consulting on my own. And so this is just the team that I've always dreamt of building. It's pretty incredible. What a gift to work with a team that you've always wanted to to work with. It is. It does feel like a gift for sure. How did you come across the name Lions and Tigers? (laughs) I mean, I I can guess that there's an Obeyers Oh My type reference, (laughs) but it's such a strong, I mean, from a brand personality perspective, which gets sort of back to radical realness, like how do you come forward into the world in a way that's authentic yet differentiated? Tell us about that. Yeah. So I get asked about the name all the time. When people think of lions and tigers, they generally think of one of two things. One is Wizard of Oz, lions and tigers oh, and bears. Oh, oh my. And then the other is sort of this like fierceness that a real a lion or tiger and the fact that they're sort of in this pride. So both of those themes seemed really true to what we were trying to provide in the what we're trying to build here. But honestly, you know, Wizard of Oz and the story of Dorothy is one of the best stories of a female like going on this big long life journey and bringing people along with her that I could possibly think of. So that really did inspire me. I did think of the name driving back over the I-90 pass with two kids sleeping on either side of me. I was jotting down a bunch of names in a notebook and came across Lions and Tigers. And I just knew the second I wrote it down that that was the, the kind of courage brand we wanted to build. I love that. You mentioned being a female entrepreneur and founder. How does that factor in? I mean, how how does I mean you, you only have one perspective, obviously, being a woman on being a woman entrepreneur. But how are you finding well, and I want to tie this, I guess, to the idea that, that part of what you put out there for Lions and Tigers is I, this idea of being a bridge to the future of work. 
I think we all just got catapulted, whether willingly or against our will, into kind of what the future might look like a little bit. But I, you know, one, you know, how much, how much of this, right, sheltered in place, trying to work, which isn't the same as working from home, will be the future of work, and like, what role are gender dynamics going to have? Do you think? Oh my gosh, this is my favorite question. <laughs> Thank goodness, I'm so glad <laughs> I asked your favorite question. <laughs> uh, I mean, so. I'm really passionate about flexibility. Like this is a core concept of my business. And that is because I think we have stumbled upon a need that employers and employees share, which is this idea that brands, organizations, they need the ability to be agile. And talent, by the way, 96% of employees cite that they need flexibility in their lives, 96%. And yet less than half report actually having flexibility in their work. Now, this was all pre-COVID. Now we're all seeing this giant experiment, the great reset that we're all in. And so, of course, this is going to change the dynamic. Before this, 60% of women were dropping out of the workforce, citing childcare as the number one reason they had to drop out of the workforce. And to me, that is a huge drain on our society that we need to stop. Like that, that is something that is hard for me to wrap my head around. I just heard there's a story on Twitter of a, of a founder. She was a woman that had a business of about 13 people and her husband was a stay-at-home dad and unable to care for their son. So she needed to shutter her business and lay off her employees to step in and care for her son, which is a really extreme example of the kind of caretaking responsibilities that women are being asked to do or not asked to do and they are responsible for. And so not everyone has that kind of experience. There's a lot more parity and other kinds of partnerships, but the model that I built is for part-time flexible consulting. So that means that, you know, I've got a big group of a lot of ladies. I've got 75% of my workforce are women. 77% of us are parents. So we are already built to be agile. <laughs> and so what I allow people to do or what I enable is people to sign up for 10 or 20 or 30 hours of work. And they can do that work as their schedule allows. And it feels like I might have come up with the most obvious business of all time, which is part-time work, but it has unlocked this talent gap that otherwise brands wouldn't be able to access. So we're giving opportunities to people who are highly skilled and keeping them in the workforce, which is critical right now. So from a gender perspective, do you, you were citing some, some research. Is, is there a different, I mean, you, I think you said 75% of talent say that they want flexibility. 96. 90, oh, oh gosh, 96. Okay. But they don't have it. Is there is there a difference between men and women? There is, yeah. There there is a lot of difference. Um, there's been a, a number of studies, even just recently. So LeanIn.org, Cheryl Sandberg's organization, has conducted a study since the pandemic, and they have asked women and men how much more caretaking they're doing now versus before. And the women, on average, have responded that they're doing 71 hours of caretaking and housekeeping, which is almost two full-time jobs before they do their full-time job. I mean, this is staggering amount of responsibility. So when you say we're tired, like, yeah, girl, we're tired. <laughs> and, and men are reporting that they are, of course, helping. And, and I'm not ma male bashing. In fact, my husband is a stay-at-home dad right now. So in our family, I'm, I'm really lucky to get to work as much as I am because my husband is enabling that for us. So I know it's not everyone. But generally, yes, women are responsible for much of the caretaking and much of the, even the planning, buying the shoes, buying the groceries, all, all of those 
elements um, in addition to their full-time jobs or their part-time jobs in my case. And so we're, we're just looking at that and saying like, how can we offer a different solution? Do you think that this solution you said you, you think you want to stumble across the most obvious business model ever? Because <laughs> you work mainly, correct me if I'm wrong, but mainly with like bigger companies. Yep. Well, we do. We have a mix of, of small business startups and enterprises. But yes, we have a lot of big support from large enterprises. Do, so do you see this model, this idea of flexible part-time working for all sort of all shapes and sizes? I do. It, so because you can you can really procure the kind of talent you need. Yes. So yes, generally, I think this is going to be a global trend. I think I call it skills shift work. And so we're doing something different. We're thinking about, we call it highest and best use. We think about the kinds of talent that are that reside within an organization already, nonprofits, for-profits, it all is applicable. Of the work that you need to do, who in your room, who on your W-2 payroll do you already have and what is their highest and best use? And if you consider downsourcing or outsourcing some of the additional work, even at added cost, can you get more gain out of that? Can you bring in a specialist who knows something you don't know or some someone to lighten your load through a sprint? Or what I'm seeing a lot of is people now, especially with you know Zoom and technology as it is, they're filling up their virtual boardrooms to make these key decisions and they're accessing people and talent they wouldn't otherwise have. So yes, I think that is completely applicable uh, to small business all the way up to large. It's just, of course, large enterprises have more budget, so you might be able to get a little further. But yeah, we do this thing called virtual think tank. So we'll bring a problem in and I'll tap, say, five resources, five specialists, and we'll hire them for a couple of hours and they'll just noodle on a problem with the, with the client and they'll try to break through during that time together. So there's tons of ways that you can think about tapping talent, no matter your budget. So this idea of like uh, very problem specific think tanks, I find very intriguing as I, you know, I'm always influenced by my teaching. And right now I'm teaching my undergrad class on nonprofits, philanthropy, and social innovation. And so we, we, all of this culminates in an innovation for impact competition. I'm air quoting competition. It means it's their final presentations. <laughs> but then they do, you know, like we vote and whoever gets the most, you know, votes gets the top score and blah, blah, blah. But why I mention that is because, you know, wicked problems, which a lot of the, these issues for profit, nonprofit, doesn't matter, you know, they're intractable, really challenging, non discrete challenges and problems. And so this idea of bringing like a very intentional group of people together with the express purpose of is there a way to slice these so that we can just try to come up with new ideas around them? And right now, I mean, I think um, network leadership, which, you know, has been on the rise, but this idea of, uh, you know, sort of challenging some that the wisdom is at the top of the food chain all the time, you know, that could be such an interesting way of just getting new energy and new ideas and new eyes and ears and brain cells on these issues that are, you know, you can run out of steam pretty quickly when you're trying to like eradicate extreme global poverty or solve homelessness or, yeah, I mean, sure. just a couple of things here, sure. the little light bulbs. <laughs> I think that that's a very intriguing idea. Yeah, yeah, it's been a popular one. I mean, there's just so many ways to think creatively right now. I mean, the the walls are down. Like now is the time for us to really question who's doing what and why. And to again, I I think just I'm just naturally tuned as a person who is up still with children in the middle of the night to feel like my time is so precious. Like I have to be so conscious of where I spend it and where I am not an expert, I tap people that that are and I have this matrix 
maybe I can send it to you, that shows, um, it was published in um, the Harvard Business Review that shows your value of your hour for $10 an hour tasks versus $1,000 an hour hour tasks versus $10,000 an hour tasks. And there are just things that I'm the only one that can do. And those are the categories I should spend my time in. And the rest of the time, I should try to bring in experts for that. And I get that there are real costs there, but I would challenge people to think about the opportunity costs of your time and what you could be doing with that otherwise. Well, and the value of you. Yeah. I I mean, I I really, it breaks my heart how much people don't do those sorts of things. I I mean, there is a real cost. Uh, Let's just say that one more time. But sometimes it's like a, I'm not worthy of, Mm. right? That kind of upper limiting, I'm not worthy, you know, really, is there anything in me that's worth a thousand dollars an hour? I think that there is something that, that we are all, if we use that terminology, all of us have something that is in our zone of genius where we are the people who should be paid the most on the planet. That's our little bit of uniqueness. Yep. But you know, if you, if you can find that, that's a, that's a gift in life for sure. And then to that's just the dream, that's the dream. That's, that's it. Yeah. And it's, I mean, I will from you know, sitting from a place of a lot of privilege, it's easier yep. to, it's easier to access the dream for sure. It is. I get a lot of questions from people who are more in their sort of, you know, the more Gen Xers about how to manage and communicate with their millennial staff and okay. peers and colleagues. <laughs> what says you? <laughs> I think I'm on the border. I'm like the very yeah, high you, end. you got to be right there, right? <laughs> of a Gen X. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's so funny. I don't know if I necessarily identify with that group. There's got to be like a subgroup of us, right? That are like- I mean, it's ones. also, unless you're like right in the middle, you're like, well, I kind of buy this yeah, that on way. The edge. Don't put me in the corner. <laughs> Um, okay. So communicating with us, I, Mm -hmm. um, and I also, I mean, again, like I'm not great at texting. (laughs) I mean, I'm not, you know, like, I don't know if they're like these normal, I like kind of do Instagram. So like there are definitely some, uh, no, no, I don't. What is your preferred method of communication? Actually it's Voxer. Oh, are you familiar with Voxer? Yeah. Like Mar- Voxer and Marco Polo are, uh-huh. maybe this does make me younger, but so it's a, it's a walkie talkie yep. app. Yep. And so you can send voice memos back and forth and it's actually faster than typing in my mind. And then I get to hear the voice. So I conduct business that way. I talk with my team on Voxer and I'm in a few like uh, different group women's groups right now. I'm uh, on a Voxer thread around personal brand and authenticity. I'm debating ah. with a number of other female founders about how they're approaching it. So, and it's just so cool. You can pick it up whenever you want. When I have time, like when I'm walking, you know, to, from my she shed into the house or something like I can pick up a 30 second dialogue. So that's my favorite way to communicate actually that an email. Do you think that that's generational or that you're more of a verbal communicator? Oh, I think I'm more of a verbal communicator. Mm-hmm. I just, I just love what you, when you see people and when you talk to people, like I just get so wrapped up by that. I love a big room of people. I mean, give it to me all day. So you'd be an extrovert. I'd say so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, I'm tying that back in my mind to you saying you would get to the end of a day and feel lonely, even though you had been with people. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, because it wasn't necessarily, because I wasn't, wasn't fighting connection. for the same mission, right? Like it's, mm-hmm. it's like this like purpose-driven culture where you're all rowing in the same direction and, and that there are people around you that are smarter than you. Like, that's just so cool. Like the team that I've hired, I'm so proud of. And I'm like, go, go, go. Let me get out of your way. Like, that's just, I just feel so lucky that they would choose to partner with me. So if you were talking to a pure Gen X person who was in a leadership position, what tips would you have for connecting with their millennial and, and increasingly the 
the Zoomers. You know, I actually have to pull out a Gary V on this. <laughs> <laughs> you go. Okay. Okay. So I, I did, I don't watch all of his stuff, but I did see a little could, snippet video. Could keep up with I all of his couldn't stuff. possibly. Now he's Lord. texting you. So I got to, I, I draw the line, but he did do a really awesome video that I thought was really helpful. And he said, as a, as a CEO or as a founder, all you need to do is set up 30 minutes with each one of your staff, just go to them and, and don't talk, don't talk, just go to them and say, how can I best support you? And he said, you know, I guarantee the loyalty that you will get and the insights that you'll get out of that 30 minutes is so worth your time investment. It costs you nothing. And to simply go and talk to your staff would be hugely valuable. And in the case, of course, of either for-profit or nonprofit, certainly in that case, I would consider shareholders, stakeholders, board members, like just going and doing an informal check-in, I think goes so far. Um, and so I try to do that as often as I can. It's hard when the company gets big and you've got to scale yourself, but man, I get more out of those conversations than I do out of any of my other working meetings. Interesting. I mean, it's not uh, unlike when we're thinking about messaging and, you know, people come and say it's not working and they'll say, who's your target audience. And there's sort of like this, Hmm, oftentimes that's a, we got to start there. And yeah. actually we start with what success looks like. Then we talk about target audience, who's your target audience. And then we get to the how, which is messaging. And the number of times that I say, well, have you asked, mm -hmm. you know, have you, and they're like, no, which, you know, really is about vulnerability. Of and, course. and I think, you know, one, one sort of interesting connection is Gen Xers and, you know, boomers and whatnot. We, you know, we were brought up to think like, if you get to a certain, you know, place, you're supposed to have the answers. And like, if you don't have the answers, that doesn't look good for you. That's not a good look to not have the answers. And it's interesting now, thanks to Brene Brown and others, to you know actually have a conversation about vulnerability. And you know, one of the really uncomfortable suggestions I always make in terms of messaging and elevator pitches is you you want it to you want people to ask questions. Like that's good because then you know what they heard, you know, and what they're interested in, and blah blah blah. And people, like the people are like, oh, but what that means that I didn't like preemptively answer every single question that they ever had ever about your thingy dingy. No, you didn't because that's boring and you sound like a robot, but just the open, like getting people to open to the idea of like a question's good. Feels yes. so vulnerable. It does, but Very boy, so powerful. Oh gosh. I love Brene Brown. Don't get me started on that. She's my hero, but you know, so in addition to marketing, I think the other sort of biggest category I spend time in is business development. Mm -hmm. So I sell a lot. And I don't know if I'm a non-traditional seller or not, but I never start with the pitch. I always start with questions first. You know, tell me about where you're at or what you're looking for. And boy, that is not... Of course, it is vulnerability because a lot of folks would want to go in with a lot of polish. But boy, does that give me so much information about what they actually want to hear next. And it's the same thing for, for leaders. I certainly don't profess to have all the answers. That's why I started a company and scaled it because I couldn't do it alone. Like I, 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 there was only so much I could accomplish. And so now I'm very happy to be wrong. That is just a really awesome sign that I've hired great people. Now, you know, sometimes you have to take that, that on the shoulder, but you know, I've worked for some folks that I think were really ego driven and that, I think limited our business. I mean, I, I was in a number two spot for a long time and I watched ego play a huge role in how our business decisions were made, personal ego. And that was something that I just vowed that would 
color the way in which I lead a company. And so that's, I'm really mindful of, of how ego shows up for us. And, um, and man, I'm, I still have so much to learn. So there really is a, a, a big journey ahead. I, I couldn't imagine being exhausted of this business because I just have so much still more to, to contribute and learn along the way. Would that more leaders felt like they could be like that. That would oh. be a good world. Yeah. 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 And, and I think that, well, you know, doing good in the world doesn't, isn't the sole purview of nonprofits, although every single one of them is doing good in their own way. But there are some structural barriers, I would say, to, to, and some limitations that are put on nonprofit leaders that are different than for-profit leaders and founders. And, but I actually, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts as a, you know, female entrepreneur myself, of female entrepreneurs, because I find it incredibly inspiring. And one was, um, oh, I'm not going to remember her name. Um, Oh, dang it. Emma something. She's Irish, but her company is Wild Fang, the clothing line. And she is, she's just super candid about how challenging it is and how lonely it is. And how as a female entrepreneur, like vulnerability is really, really not encouraged at all. And I think that that's quite similar to the the nonprofit executive directors. Um, You know, we're seeing like a bit of an openness to it more so, but it, it does, it feels like folks can, you know, walk differently through those spaces. Yeah. I sometimes compare it to grief. I heard this concept about grief where you process in these outward circles. Mm -hmm. So this is kind of a similar concept. I'm a huge fan of the topic of grief. Okay. It's important and we suck at it. We do. We do. And so vulnerability, I think, falls into the same category. And so if you cannot be, you know, on Twitter about how, you know, your vulnerable day, which understood a lot of roles can't be. And in fact, I I don't tend to go that far either. There are circles and appropriate places where you can be vulnerable. And I guess I would encourage everyone to find that space. You know, sometimes for me, that's with my partner, my spouse. Other times I'm in these like sort of female focused communities where I'm either paying a membership fee or I'm in sort of a founder circle and that's where I'm authentic. And sometimes it's with my staff or in one-on-one. So there's like all these different, I don't know, maybe right now, I don't know if you're feeling this way too. I'm feeling an extreme amount of compartmentalization. Like every this 30 word minutes is coming of my up day. A lot. Yes. Yes. That a is lot. showing up so much. So each 30 minutes of my day is so different and I have to treat it so differently, which is just a really interesting challenge. And then my kids will run in and have a snack. So you just go from one thing to another so quickly right now. But that's very that taxing on our brains. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's yeah. another reason yeah. why we're so Switch, tired. Switching costs are like, they are real and they are high yes. right now and they're fierce. Yeah. It's hard to get into flow. But even talking about not being productive is a risk right now, right? Like everyone's trying to make sure that they're still showing up. Which is quite goofy. I mean, I honestly, <laughs> really, really, you, you're at your most optimally productive while sheltered in place right. because of an unprecedented global pandemic. <laughs> right. Like, what's that some grace? Let's okay. let go of our obsession with productivity. Yes. And I mean, it's just so, it's just so harmful. To folks, yes. you know, and I, and I definitely have clients and I'm, you know, hearing from, from lots of folks who are like, no, I'm still expected to like be, be, be in the office, quote unquote, you know, online from eight to five or eight to six every day. Yeah. There's like beers and doers. I'm definitely a doer. And so to get into a place of being is really a challenge for me. Like just to sit and appreciate or not do things is just a really big challenge. So I think there's, mm. we're all being forced to have some awareness of ourselves right now that we maybe otherwise wouldn't be facing. Or given the gift of figuring out. I mean, I'm, I'm yeah. always a little split about referring to a global pandemic as a gift, but I think I'm such a silver sure. lining person and I'm like just clawing my way to every single silver line that, that it might offer us, you know? Yeah, and no, I'm with you. I'm with you. 
just so much self-awareness. Sometimes I'm like, that's enough. That's enough. <laughs> yeah, I'm I've done. done it. Thank you so it's much for that additional <laughs> insight. <laughs> yes. Yeah. There is a lot of that right now. If I read one more blog post about productivity hacks from home, I'm going to keel over. Although stop I have it. bought a lot of office supplies. That's been my okay. like pandemic purchases. It's like mini whiteboard markers. <laughs> well, why not? I mean, whatever keeps yep. you happy. That's it. You and Beth Cancer, she loves office. Well, not office supplies. Specifically, she likes um, like pens and markers and because she's yes. such a facilitator. So. Yes. Okay. I want to. I mean, this is take two. So I really want to be mindful of your time because you've given me a lot of your time and attention. You know, I always close by asking guests what inspires them and what motivates them. So, you know, inspiration being about breath and keeping you sort of the way to do the work and then motivation being what drives you to action. Um, And we need both. And so we've heard a fair amount about what inspires you, but what comes to mind, what inspires you and keeps you motivated to do this work? Simply, but it's a workforce that looks different than it does today. It's a place where people feel included and accessed and needed and that I'm contributing to that kind of change that we want to have in the world. That's both your inspiration and your motivation? I'd say so. I guess I should say my kids. I don't know. (laughs) You know, you don't have to. Yeah. They're, I mean, they, of course, they're, they're a lot of the reason, but you know, but so many people, they, they, um, they want a different kind of working environment. And I just feel, feel like we've got to, got to get us there. Yeah. Well, I am very appreciative to you for trying to bridge us to the future, to, to a workplace that is flexible, inclusive, that sees people for who they are, that elevates them to be working toward, you know, and in their higher purpose, their what's, what's your term, their highest and best use. Yes. I love it. That is a very, very dreamy world. I hope that everyone listening has gotten as much out of this as I have. I feel like I'm, as the host, the one that always benefits the most from every single one of these conversations. If folks want to continue the conversation, just a reminder to head on over to the Marketing for Good Facebook group, and we can continue the conversation there. Be good, do well, and see you soon. Thanks for listening to the Marketing for Good podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, please rate, subscribe, review, and share on Apple, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like more information about Claxon University, how to make more impact in and for your organization, or hiring me to speak or coach, go to klaxonmarketing.com or reach out at info at klaxonmarketing.com. Again, thanks for listening, and thanks for making our world a better place.